0: Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I am extremely excited to be sitting down with Carmen Lemaire, the founder of Tight Clinic. Carmen, as soon as I heard a little bit of your story, I, I couldn't wait to sit down and chat with you and get you on the podcast. Really been looking forward to this. Why don't we just jump right into it? Can you take us through your career journey leading up until this point?
1: Absolutely. So I've had a, an eclectic, um, multi, multi-faceted journey. Um, so essentially in my early 20s, um, fresh out of school, very unsure what I wanted to do. Um, I was working at an Italian restaurant of all things um, and just sorting out, you know, uh, finishing up for university and all of that. And every single day at lunch, we had like 17 tables. It was a small little restaurant in the middle of nowhere. And this guy would come in every day for lunch. Same, like same time, same thing. We had, we developed this nice relationship. We just chit chatted every day. And it turned out that he owned a jewelry store. Well, quite a large jewelry store in Edmonton. And uh, after watching me like facilitate lunches for 17 tables, like seamlessly all day, every day. After about six months, he was like, you need to come and work for me. And I'd never thought I would work in the jewelry industry, but I was like, all right, let's give this a try. So I came on and I just was working with him as a part-time salesperson. And within six months, I was the manager of the store. And within wow. a year, I was the director of operations for his company. Wow. I guess I just needed a chance to get into an environment and really have that mentorship and that hands-on learning and seeing every, how everything worked from the inside out. He was very, very um, transparent about everything, and I really got to learn all facets of the business. Um, so, yeah, I was there for seven, six or seven years. That was a big part of my career journey. Um, and then after that, we were actually one of the first stores in Canada back then to carry Pandora jewelry.
0: Right.
1: And so we had one little showcase in the front and we would do like a million dollars a year just out of that one little showcase. Um, and I was heavily involved with Pandora. Um, we would have trade shows every year. We were in Las Vegas, we were all over the place and I was involved in the buying, um, the operations, the trunk shows and all of that. And, uh, so when Pandora decided to open their first Canadian location, they came to me and asked me if I would open it for them. Wow. So took the transition from jewelry over to Pandora and I managed the West Hampton Mall store for about a year. They budgeted that we would do like a million dollars in sales. And I think our first year we did 5 million. Um, It was a really intense, crazy journey. No one knew how crazy that was going to get. And then after that point in time, I actually ended up getting a job offer um, from a franchisee who owned 11 Pandora stores. And so I moved from the West Coast to Toronto, and I spent my time between here, um, Ottawa, Halifax, all the East Coast, and I've looked after 11 stores. Then after that point in time, uh, that takes a lot out of you, you know, being yeah. in your 30s and dealing with all these like tiny little charms, and I just did not have really the patience for it anymore. And um, I was approached by the Richmond group to come on board with them. And so I came on as a sales manager for Mont Blanc, which was a really, really cool experience learning about all these high end watches and writing instruments. We got to do some very cool travel, got to take a lot of cool courses. And, um, and I was with Mont Blanc for maybe four years. And then at the end of that, I. Just internally transitioning is much easier once you're in the Richemont group. Of course. Yeah. Um, So Chloe, our one fashion brand, uh, had come to Canada. They were going to open up their first flagship location. And so I moved as a director for Chloe. um, And I was there for... Again, a couple of years until I had a full-on midlife crisis and oh boy. Yeah. decided to leave everything that I knew and open up a clinic.
0: Such an exciting journey, and there's so many that I, so much of it that I want to tap into. Uh, I want to start from the beginning. Um, what were you? What were you studying while while you were working in the Italian restaurant? Because I just want to get a sense, like you very clearly have, you know, a skill set for orchestration, kind of management of activities and logistics and operations, even for example, like managing 17 tables. I've always admired people in in the service industry because I just, I don't think I have the capacity in any shape or form to do that job. And so I'm in admiration of people who do it so gracefully. Um, And so obviously somebody else was too, and saw the potential for that translated into a different context, right? So were you studying something that was like relevant to where you ended up going in terms of doing operations in the industry that you were in?
1: Not at all, actually. So again, I was so unsure of what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I had originally I wanted to go into law. Um, when I when I was going to school, I was trying to keep things very open because I was really unsure of what I wanted to do. Um, and at the time, I actually got married in my early twenties. Um, my husband was in school finishing his second degree. And so I ended up leaving university, um, taking care of... I was working literally five jobs to support him as he finished his journey, because you never think that that's wow. going to end at any point in time. Right. Um, and then after I ended up working at um, Michael Anthony Jewelers, the first career that I was with, they ended up putting me through uh, my GIA education, Very which cool. through the Gemological Institute of America... Um, so that was taken care of by them, but no, in any point in time, like I had no, I was not training for something specific to be in operations or management whatsoever. Everything was just learned throughout all my experiences and on the job.
0: But I mean, you learned it pretty fast. Like you talked about your first job, Yes. And then six months later being a store manager and then six months after that, am I, am I correct, in being a yes. director of ops for his entire company? Yes. Right. So talk about that because you know there's accelerated growth and then there's going from zero to whatever astronomical number that is in a very short period of time. So walk me through that. What was that experience like?
1: I felt like this was my first chance at doing something incredible. Um, I've never been afraid of hard work and I wasn't one of those people who would come to work and check in at nine and check out at five, you know, for my first six months, I was like, I was there at eight 30 every day, staying till 9.00 PM every single night. I was working six days a week. I wanted to learn everything that I could. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, I really didn't have an intention of being a store manager whatsoever. I just wanted to give it my all and really prove myself. And it turned out it was something I was incredibly good at. Right. Um, he literally showed me everything from the internals of the business to... Um, we had specialized in natural fancy color diamonds. We were the first ones in Canada to actually uh, get diamonds from the Dyabec mine that were given like government ordinance to be called Canadian <laughs> fancy color diamonds. He was a very smart businessman and he was very open with me about everything. So just... I was a sponge and I yeah. learned how to take control. Uh, we had... in. That one location at the beginning, we had about 15 staff and he was always busy. He was always in the office. There was no one really there who was facilitating. Um, That's often how it is with a small business. And he was just trying to grow the best he could. And so I just took the reins and I was, you know, I took over everything managing the staff, like scheduling, budgeting, everything. Um, And then after six months, we opened another location and he was like, you are. You're much better with finances than I am. You're much better with budgeting than I am because often, like as a business owner or a jeweler, you see things and it's like passion, and you're not thinking with your brain; you're thinking with your heart. Right? And you're like, no, this is not a good idea to spend, you know, three quarters of a million dollars on a 0.25 fancy yellow, like red diamond. It just didn't make sense. Um, so I really was able to grow just because of. The situation I was put in, and really taking taking the reins and flying and going with it.
0: Yeah, but I, I think what you're talking about is demonstrating like enormous amounts of confidence in in kind of what your gut was telling you, and then what the experiences you quickly developed were showing you. I mean, I I think there's a level of of appreciation one has to have for having a mentor and an opportunity like that, right? Where um, they basically said it, if you see an opportunity to make impact, make impact, and you did yeah. that. And you, yes. but it takes confidence to actually make the leap and start applying yourself in that way. And I mean, how big was that business? Like how many individuals were there over and above you and the, and the owner, like, because you're brand new to the industry, brand new to your career and you basically took control. So was there friction in that with the other folks on the team? Like, how was that received as a young professional?
1: Uh, it was interesting. So basically the man who run, ran the store um, was in a similar position to me in his early twenties. And he worked for a mentor who owned a Rolex boutique for years and years. And then once that gentleman um, retired, he took everything that he had learned and opened up his first his first business. So it was him and his wife. Um, there was basically, basically an accountant who like ran everything above us and that was it. And then wow. by the end of it, there was about 30 staff and we worked with, oh my goodness, so many vendors. Sure. Um, but yeah, there wasn't really friction because I think they were just really happy to have the help and to have somebody who was you know, growing along with them. And, you know, between my actual boss and I, there was like, there were some moments, definitely, especially, you know, being at a trade show and having a couple million dollar budget to spend and full on arguing about where it was going and what was supposed to go. But that was part of my job description too. And, you know, as a woman and I've always been interested in fashion and in aesthetics of things. And so, you know, I would do research, depending what was coming up for what season and decide what brands we were going to bring on, you know, how we're going to allot that between the selections of what I thought we're going to sell. And sometimes him and I did not disagree on that or we did not agree on that. But, um, yeah, we went with it and we had great success together. It was amazing.
0: That's I mean, I, I, I love hearing stories like that. And you, you obviously you were there for an extended period of time. You had all this growth, you, you developed, uh, you know, A pretty significant skill set and a set of experiences and relationships. So then you have a more corporate opportunity, right? That Mm -hmm. kind of approaches you in the form of Pandora. How did you make the decision to to make that leap? Because that's, you know, inherently a bit of a risk, right? You're, and you're walking away from, from mentorship that, that kind of, helped you along the path to to where you got. And so to leave that behind, I mean, I'm sure you still stayed connected and you still benefited from that relationship. I have no doubt, right? That's what a good mentor would do, but there it's, it's still, you're very much spreading your wings and, and leaping into something totally different, right? Well, not totally, but still.
1: Yeah. It was, it was, um, an interesting transition because going from working with high end timepieces and high-end diamonds and selling pieces for hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, even ego wise going and working in a a retail store and selling charms that were $30. Like a lot of time, a lot of patience. And I went from, you know, managing maybe 30 people between two stores to going to a much more corporate company, who also did not know what was coming? Um, opening up the very first location and starting with 20 employees, and all of these girls that we would hire that would want to do a job like that but were between the ages of 18 and 25. Right. Um, and as I said, they budgeted $1 million for the first year. Um, and we ended up doing close to five. We had to hire, we, I think by the time that I had left in that one location, we had over thirty five staff. Um, we could not keep up. It was like panic at the disco in there. Um, but also coming from working for a small business, you know, making your salary and making your bonus. Um, they had tiered it in a way that, you know, once we hit that million dollars, I was going to make a very comfortable bonus, and the fact that we almost hit, you know, four and a half million was wild. Uh, that yeah. was one of the craziest times in my life for sure. I definitely did not sleep for like a full year.
0: <laughs> wow, wow! I mean, and and so I'm just thinking back to, you know, when I first remember experiencing Pandora as a brand. My experience with it was walking through. It was probably at the time like maybe the Eaton Center here in Toronto yes. and and seeing just this massive, massive line of people yes. waiting to get into the store. And me as like an early 20s individual was just like, I had, I don't I have no idea what this brand is. Like, what is yes. this? Yes. Right. And and that, I mean, I don't think that that excitement diminished for a long time. Like maybe now there's no line to get in anymore. Yes. But that's because it's largely, I'm sure a ton of new competitors popped up over the course of the, the success that the brand experienced. So, I mean, like scaling one store, right. Or a couple of stores, let's say in your previous experience, um, in, in, in a city or in an area to now the entire East coast, yes, 11 locations. What was that like? Cause that again is its own huge challenge. It's all happening relatively fast for you, right? Like, yes. um, you're now sitting on top of like serious, serious operations across serious, large corporate brands. Uh, how, you know, how was that growth?
1: That was, you know, I think everything in my career trajectory prepared me for what was coming next, you know, from being efficient at the Italian restaurants to being a salesperson in this jewelry store to then, you know, being a director of operations, to then being able to take a leap and, you know, manage a huge store where they didn't know what was coming. You know, I, I think I've always had so much thrown at me yeah. with very little guidance or direction. And I've just had to sort of figure it out myself. And so, nothing has ever really phased me, even like even scaling on a large level like that. I've really felt like one of the biggest things in my skill set is problem solving and also, you know, being able to sense Mm -hmm. what's coming and sort of preemptively avoid disasters. (laughs) And that's just always what I've been good at. So, yeah, that transition to that 11 store um, role. Yeah. There was a lot of travel involved. There was, again, like very little sleep. And, but like it was just taking what i had learned at that first level and scaling it up um, i know that doesn't sound like in depth detail but yeah it was wonderful like i feel like that was an incredible experience that i'll never forget and i found great success in doing that and you know i realized that not everything is as glamorous as it sounds and yeah. you know being on a plane every couple of days and you know having all of that responsibility sounds exciting, but like, really, it was pretty exhausting.
0: Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, I've traveled enough in my own career to know what, how taxing it can be. But then, you know, you have this strange Stockholm syndrome when, when like, for example, for me, when COVID hit and you go six months without traveling and suddenly, you know what, I can go for a business trip right now. So it's a a weird relationship with business travel. Um, I want to just circle back because like you talk about, like in your initial experience with the jewelry store, you're you're dealing with items that are like $100,000 in value or whatever the case, yes. the type of clientele yes. that walk in to make a very deeply personal purchase, whether it's a watch that's being added to an extensive collection, right? That has, it is, it is 100% a, you know, an extension of that person's uh, identity, right? And, 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 and kind of positioning of their personal worth and value Like to deal with those types of clientele, right? To then transition to dealing with the type of clientele that are buying a $30 charm. Yes. I think that that probably, maybe I'm I'm making a logical leap here, that probably imbued you with an enormous amount of confidence, right? Like if I can navigate those types of people and vendors with that much history, right? We're talking about brands that are 100 year old plus brands in the watch industry, you know. Uh, to then transitioning to this, like y- you have to walk in there with with just a world of confidence that probably helped you accelerate your growth again once you hit the ground running at Pandora.
1: Hundred percent, and that was honestly like like I had mentioned earlier, almost like an ego step back that was right. like, quite difficult. And it is funny because you know how often when they say that really wealthy people, you'll not know that they're wealthy because they're spending their money on real estate. They're spending their money on different things and they don't need to dress a certain way to prove anything. Sure. Um, It was funny because some of these clients who were spending... like, I remember we did this fancy colored diamond suite. It was like half a million dollars. We did a, a diamond Riviera neck piece and a matching bracelet and an eternity band. And each diamond was natural, fancy color, graduating from one color to the next. Like it was spectacular. It took so long to make. The people that bought this were just like so low key, so relaxed. This was like going to be something special for them, but also an investment piece. And they really right. trusted us to do what we were best at. And so I always found that interesting. A lot of our like clients, we had celebrity clientele. My our store really dealt a lot with the Edmonton Oilers. We actually made sure. their family Cup rings. Oh, very cool. In the past, and like. Um, so it was going from that type of clientele and yes, I had the confidence, but stepping it back to selling $30 charms to like 12 year old children who were (laughs) buying and it would take them like 40 minutes to decide on one charm. I swear to God, the patience that that instilled in me, because that's something that you sort of forget as you go on your career journey. And after that, I was like, Oh yeah. This yeah. And also taught me patience again, which is very important.
0: And I'm sure empathy on top of that, right? Because yeah. now you're having to relate and be able to establish a, a, an immediate connection and relationship with somebody in the moment as you're trying to sell to them. That is totally different than the folks you've dealt with earlier. And so having that breadth of relationship making ability probably then empowers you to running, you know, 11 locations with probably a huge spectrum of individuals that you're overseeing different career stages, different walks of life. Right. So, I mean, the patience, right. As you said, plus empathy, like those things had to be incredibly valuable. And now, so now you jump over to, to reach pump group, which, you know, I, I admittedly have a bit of a a thing with watches is huge passion area of mine. I'm very interested. I'm, I'm staring at a humble, you know, Seiko Diver collection in front of me, right? So I'm in my early stages of, of collecting. But the point is, is that some of the brands that sit under that that, you know, holding group we're talking about JLC, right? Like these are some of the most important brands in the world of watchmaking. Yes. So now you dive into that world in a non insignificant brand of Montblanc. You're back in the realm of of the initial clientele you were dealing with um, on a big scale. So talk about that experience and, and what it was like moving back from to that from Pandora.
1: That was a really cool experience because. You know, with Mont like I had worked with high-end timepieces before. At the original jewelry store I worked at, we carried Blanc, We had the writing instruments, but we would have like, you know, your classic. Back in the day, it was like three hundred ninety-five dollars Meisterstück pen. Um, yeah. We would have sort of like the Star Walkers and the, ent- the entry-level things. Um, when I, getting hired onto Richmont Group was a process. I think it took me six months of interviews. Wow. Wow! On many different levels to get in, because once you get in, there's there's so much room for growth and advancement. You can right. really jump from brand to brand, and from you know you can accelerate your career very quickly. And they take things very seriously. Their HR was pretty nuts. Um, so getting in there, uh, I was a sales manager for the boutique in Yorkdale, and my direct um, manager had been with the brand for 27 years. Wow. So he wow. knew everything and anything, and he was such a lovely gentleman. And again, it, it turned into that mentorship where I sort of got fast tracked from you know having to learn things from the ground up to him giving me his entire history and really helping me grow. Um, we had one client who, obviously, I, I would never mention any names, but this man was the most interesting man I'd ever met. He was a collector of the most exclusive pens that they would put out, and basically. Every year, they would launch new collections, but for some of them, there might only be one in the world. For some, there might be ten in the world. For some, there might be twenty in the world. But they were all solid gold, all very limited. Um, And these pieces would be anywhere between fifty thousand to five hundred thousand. And this this gentleman was this is what he wanted to do. And so, like between all the Montblanc stores in North America, you would have to compete for these pens basically and like have to right. it was it was a lot. Um but it was really cool to kind of get back into the luxury component of it. Again, there was a lot of travel, there's a lot of furthering education, there's a lot of study and uh you had to really perform at a high level. Like there was as as, as I'm sure you know, working in corporate, it was yeah. like three days a week you were having intense meetings and like they wanted to look at every single aspect of the business, analyze everything and like you better be where you need it to be or you better have an excuse why you're not I had an action plan on how to get there. But again, our salaries were very tied into everything from, you know, performance to what we were selling to how many limited pieces we were selling to, you know, whatever. So if you want to make your money, you better be damn good at every single area of uh, what you're doing. So again, it was like back into luxury, also back into that pressure. But I will tell you one really cool thing about being back in the luxury world and working with Montbon and the Richemont group was the access to some of these items. I'm telling you, we would learn about our brand. Of course, there was opportunities to learn about the other brands. And they would have a sale twice a year, exclusive to the Richemont employees. You get to log in and like from Cartier to Van Cleef to whatever, they would have certain pieces that you could buy for like 95% off retail. So I'm telling you...
0: Now, listen, as an enthusiast, that's very hard to hear because I look at MSRPs and I'm like, in what world do I ever afford something like that? Um, but I clearly need to make some connections. You,
1: you need to make friends with someone who works in the Richemont group. Like my husband, wow. and before I left, we both ended up getting into like solid gold Cartier pieces for like $3,000 each rather than $30,000. Like we did, wow. we did well. Yeah. Perks of the job.
0: But that, uh, sure. I mean, a great perk if it's something that you're interested in, especially, but also it just kind of helps, helps you understand what value is. And then also, um, you know, everything that goes into into the cost of an item and for example, like the performance evaluation associated with it, you talk about the stakes, you talk about, you know, being assessed in a very scrupulous way around like, why are you not performing? Or if you are performing, what is the driver of that and having to be on your P's and Q's. I think that level of scrutiny probably was a huge, um, I guess, building block Towards ultimately your kind of pursuit into entrepreneurial endeavors, right? So okay. I want to jump into to that now because you you talk a little bit you you spoke candidly about the fact that you had a little bit of a midlife crisis. Yes. So I would maybe if if you're open to talking about what you know was the driver of that and and then how that translated into I'm going to move away from a very successful career of something that I'm exceptionally good at, obviously, right? The proof is in the pudding. Yes. Um, to I'm going to start. This, this successful clinic that is now obviously having a huge success in in, in Toronto. And, and I'd love to hear about that if you're open to talking about of it.
1: Of course. So I am now, I'm turning 39 uh, this year. When I was 30 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer out of the blue. Um, my husband was on a business trip and there was just some things that did not seem right. And my family doctor just kept, he te- kept telling me everything was fine. Um, so I bypassed him as... We do as you know, when you're not getting what you need and you're pretty, you know, you know, your own body. And so I bypassed him and I went to straight to Mount Sinai and I was in there for like eight, nine hours. And I had a team of people like really looking at me and there was like internal ultrasounds. There was so much going on in that day. I should have known right then that something was very wrong. But after you go home and you kind of forget about it. And I remember being at work and uh, Mount Sinai called me and they're like, you need to come down here basically immediately, and I was like, "Well, I don't Jeez. have a day off for the next ten days, so can you just tell me over the phone?" And they're like, "This is not something we would ever want to tell anyone over the phone." Um. So, anyways, they ended up telling me that I was a stage two C, um, with a squamous cell carcinoma cervical cancer. Um, and so I called my husband, bawling. He was in Mexico on a, um, a corporate retreat. Jeez. He came back the next day. We went straight into um, Princess Margaret. And within a week, I was having surgeries. And then I was in chemo and radiation for 8 to 10 months. And it was just such a sh- like a shock because I've never not worked in my entire life. Right. And when that happened, they are like, the radiation is going to make you so tired. Also, just mentally, everything that you're going through right now, you're going to have to make some tough and hard decisions. Right away, they were like, I had to make a decision if I wanted to have kids or not. If I did, we were going to have to freeze my eggs. And it was going to take like six months. It was going to halt my chemo and radiation journey for six months. And because the cancer was so fast growing, like my tumor was seven centimeters, uh, they could not... Really, judge how much faster it was going to grow in that time. And so, you know, we had some tough decisions to make. So I didn't work for uh, eight months while I was going through all of that, which is also really like that's what sort of spawned the midlife crisis because being a very busy, high performing individual, going from being at work every single day and coming home and thinking about what was next and what you're going to achieve. like thinking about your own mortality yeah you know not sure if you're gonna make it through this and then just like the physically taxing part of it because again i've always been in like great shape i was an athlete when i was younger i've always been diligent with working out and feeling really good about my body and then just having your body like turn on you it it was just like the craziest year of my entire life of course um so when i was when i completed treatments um i took two weeks off and i went to go see my mom and my dad and then it came back and I went right back into it, like full force. And I just didn't want to think about it anymore. Um, and so this was 30, so 30 to 35, that was the time that I was working in the reach mock group. And, um, I just remember one day it was new years. We were out with friends. Someone had taken a photo and put it on Instagram of all things. And like, Everyone knows their own angles, you know, your own poses. Yeah. and I remember looking at that photo and I recognized my husband. I recognized my best friend. I literally did not recognize myself just because like the chemo and radiation was so tough on my body. Um, After 25, you stop producing collagen as it is. But after all of that, um, and hormonally and everything, my face was like on the floor. I'm telling you, there was like... Nasolabial folds were huge. I had these like jowls and I, I remember seeing that photo and I just started to cry and I was like, Holy shit. Like I'm getting old. Like what is happening to me? I, I was just so confused. Um, and so about a week after that, I was at princess Margaret for a checkup and they have stacks of magazines there. And there was a Vogue magazine. I was flipping through it, reading it. And there was an article about the forma treatment. And I'd never heard that word before. I didn't know what that was when I went home. I started doing some research and it's basically like a non-surgical facelift. It's like it uses radiofrequency and heat. It's done on a laser platform. It doesn't hurt. It's painless. You do six sessions and it rebuilds your collagen and just tightens your skin up and puts everything back where it's supposed to be in a non-invasive way. So in Toronto, there was only one human doing that, which was Dr. Mulholland. And it was like, I think $800 a session. And I was like, this is unattainable and unaffordable for most people. Down closer to where the U.S. border is, uh, I found a clinic who was doing it. And it was like 200, $250 a session. Um, I, w- I wanted to go experience it. So I booked a trip. I went down. I had three sessions done. And the difference that I saw in my own face was shocking to me. It was just like I felt like how I should look, how I how I did look in my late 20s. I felt like myself again. And I was like, I remember coming home and telling my husband, I was like, I'm... I'm going to bring this to Toronto. I'm going to open up yeah. clinic. And he's like, what? And it just like, it all hit me one day. It's so funny how these things happen, like monumental life-changing things. We we started looking into it and we're like, how much can this machine be? And in my head, I thought at most like $25,000, $30,000, like how much can this thing possibly be? We start researching, we look into it and for like a fully loaded laser. It was like 250, $300,000. And I was like, Oh, shit, maybe this isn't what I'm going to do. Yeah. So then we had a journey of looking at every single laser, every single comparable, every single company. I think we spent a year doing research and I wanted to know why this one was so much, why it was better than the other ones. We really, this was not our industry. So we really wanted to educate ourselves. And then, um, at the end of it, I was like, let's bite the bullet. Let's do this. I'm ready to do it. And I knew the name and everything. I was like, tight clinic. This is what's happening. Yeah. But obviously when we made that leap to buy this incredibly expensive machine, I couldn't afford a retail space and the machine, you know, um, I ended up starting my clinic out of my three bedroom condo downtown Toronto. Sure. So we literally had made the place look like we didn't live there. We had signs up. Everything was like completely professional. It was beautiful. And I'd converted my dining room into the clinic. And at first I just started having friends come and, you know, I would, do their face and they would like talk about me on social media and the results were incredible and like I have a really good friend she's like um, a mom blogger for Rebel Mama and she posted about me a lot and I started to get quite busy I didn't see right. it so quickly but you know it was like going from no one to two or three people a day every day 5 days a week and then an influencer Libra Shah who has got like I think a million followers on YouTube several hundred thousand on Instagram I started harassing her that she needed to come. I started internet harassing her that she needed to come. She needed to try this. She was going to love it. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come. Yeah, yeah, I'll come. And then one day I was out at a bar and I saw her and I was like five shots of tequila in. And I went up to her and I was like, you're a labor shot. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm the girl who's been pestering you on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> you need to come to my clinic. So she agreed. And we joke about it now because she was sort of the, the force that really propelled me. You know, all it takes is one person with a crazy YouTube following or crazy Instagram following to yeah. see something. And then, you know, the world all of a sudden knows about you. So she had come in and I remember I was with a client and I had no receptionist. I had no nothing. So she came in and was like looking at me. I'm in my dining room doing someone's face. She's sitting on the couch across from me. Like, am I going to get murdered here? What's happening? And uh, after her first session, we chatted, we got to know each other. She came in for another one a week later. And then I remember waking up and looking at my Instagram and my Instagram had blown up. She had posted something on YouTube and she was like, yeah, you know, I, I did this for my facial. And she's like I, like, I really think it's working. It's only been two, but like, oh my God, look at my face and this and that. All of a sudden, like every day I would be with clients. And I, now I was getting to the point where I'm at five, six, seven people a day booked for, for, you know, five days a week. My phone is ringing. I can't answer the phone. I can't take my right. clients. I have no idea what's going on. So I bought a second machine. And I converted wow. the other room in my condo and I hired wow. somebody else. And we were both going full force and we were both just like booking out a month to two months in advance. Like it really happened so quickly, but I'd taken everything that I would learned from, you know, customer service, from how people want to be treated to having a luxury experience from everything that I learned in 15 years in corporate and in running, you know, all of these locations, putting all that passion into my own business. and. You know, making it a full on experience. Like I was the first person in Toronto doing treatments like this, documenting all of it. Like I wanted people, you can go and, as a woman, have a procedure done. And the next day you're like, meh, I just look like myself again. You get used to it so quickly. Yeah. So we were the ones I wanted to document and be like, let's make it something tangible that people can see that way they actually know it's working. So. I have a, like a system where we were doing before and afters, whether you wanted them or not, whether you know they were private or not. There's waiver forms we wouldn't post if the client was private. But getting to see the journey from beginning to end on how your face was changing, no one was doing that before we were doing that, and now it's right. common practice. Everyone's doing it now, and it's it's that's great. But we, it was uh, yeah, it's been a wild journey. <laughs>
0: I mean, I think wild is an understatement. I, I, there's so much that I want to unpack here. I think, I think often you hear about you know, formative moments in people's journeys that that are born out of extreme challenge, right? And I would, yes. I would qualify going through your experience with cancer and surviving it and fighting it uh, as extreme challenge. And then that's a perspective shifting moment. Yes. And so then now, you know, you jumped immediately back into your career, as you said, because you just couldn't Think about what you had gone through anymore, because it's an all-consuming thing, especially if you're off work, you're a driven individual that previously was dedicating so much of their life to to their to their career, was passionate about it, and now to have that taken away from you, it's part of your identity, right? Yes. Um, so you know, to, to to hear that and then as you you talk about, for example, your appearance and not feeling like yourself. I think especially given where your career was shaped in the luxury goods industry appearance and confidence and you know f- being able to confidently step into any environment with the type of individuals you had to like that was a core part of like who you were as a professional right and it's a core part of your identity and your confidence so like all of that right it's it's not a superficial thing to say I don't feel like myself I can't recognize myself how do I solve for this yes. right And then I think what's really interesting here is you go and you have this experience and then immediately all of your training and scaling businesses and looking for opportunities with clients, et cetera, et cetera, just clicks when you realize that this works. It's given you back something that's more than just aesthetic. It gave you back a part of your identity and it gave you back your confidence. And, but what I admire is you immediately translate that to, well, there's an opportunity here, yes. right? How do we bring this back? So other people, right, can have this experience, but then also because this could be a very lucrative business. Yes. And, you know, I love also that your immediate reaction to this was providing a luxury experience, but an accessible price point because your first experience with this was, I can't afford $800 a session, yes, right? And there's plenty of people who are in worse financial situations than I am. So it's just unattainable. Yes. So that mindset, right? Like there's a little bit of altruism there where you're trying to give people back part of their identity or their, their confidence or make them feel better about um, who they are and their body image and stuff like that. But at an accessible price point, I think that that's probably a differentiator that when you combine then all of your knowledge of the luxury goods and services space into this like crazy intersection that just, you know, put you in a position to be wildly successful. And then all you needed was a spark. Yes, And then you saw the opportunity for that spark with this influencer and you, you, you know, you were the, use the word harass. I would just say you were being persistent (laughs) in pursuing, you know, that something that was going to be accelerative to your business. And then in doing so, you know, you, you, you stumbled into this person, which is okay. You can chalk that up to luck. But what wasn't lucky is that you had done the work In trying to engage with this person previously. And then that's what allowed that connection to turn into what it turned into. Um, I think there's so much. Were you. Like, when when did it. Did you realized that this was definitely where you were going to take your career um, Like as you were doing the research? like When did it become really real? Because I think you could do research for a year and kind of figure the space out. And I think a lot of people do that, but they still don't turn that into a business, let alone a very successful one. So what what was the inflection point where like, no, 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 this is going to happen and this is going to
1: work? So it, it was the day that sort of all of the research was done. We had everything in front of us. We could have made the decision to purchase a laser that you know really didn't do much but was an affordable price point we at $20,000 or you know take the leap and spend $300,000 on on the the right thing. We had a lot of conversations with my husband. So also as a background, my husband was also in the jewelry industry. Um he had a successful wholesale company for 15 years. That's how we met oh, wow. actually. Okay. He used to come to the store that I worked at and presents me with collections of things. And I would look at them and be like, Oh, they're beautiful, but not in the budget. I was always that person as you know, not in the budget. Um, so when I had come to Toronto and we'd met at a jewelers function and, uh, we now we've been together for 11 years. Congrats. Thank you. he, had so much also like business knowledge from a different perspective than I had, you know, I was always on the retail end. He was on the wholesale end. So he had a whole different set of things to bring to the table. Um, so he really helped me with all the research. Um, after we were all said and done, I remember having a conversation and he was like, what do you want to do? It's up to you. Like, what do you want to do? I'm like, let's do it. Let's make this leap. There's no, like, I'm also that person. There's no, there's no option for failure it's either going to work or it's really going to work. There's,
0: <laughs> I, I love that.
1: <laughs> there's never, a, it's not going to work because it's just not in my personality. And like, I'm telling you if I bought that laser and something had happened and it didn't take off, I would have, you know, sold a property or I would have like <laughs> done something to figure it out. Right. But he's a, he's a person like that as well. So I said, let's take the leap and let's just do this. And it's been so funny because on the tight clinic journey, It went from just myself and one machine to, you know, booking months in advance to having my first employee and then also booking months in advance. I knew that this was something that could grow and really be something incredible. We just had to sort of, you know, duplicate what we had done and make sure that nothing is lost along the way. Um, When COVID hit, I took the time to find the most perfect location that I could ever ask for. I've loved this location for like. 10 years every day, like I would walk past it all the time. I'm like, I wonder what's in there. Um, we had been in negotiations with another location right across from the AGO, and everything right. happened for a reason. It didn't work out. And I remember I was devastated because COVID had hit. We'd planned, you know, we knew once the shutdown happened, we're like, this is the time to do renovations while everything's closed, and we can right. open in a fresh space. When that place did not come through, I was literally devastated. And then My husband was looking on Kijiji of all places because like when you can't find something that you're looking for on MLS, you know, be creative, look, see what else is out there. Right. That location that I loved for 10 years was up for rent because COVID hit. The person that was in there couldn't afford it anymore. Wow. There only had been three viewers and we called and I was like, I'll take it. And she's like, do you want to see the inside? And I was like, yeah, I guess. Went and saw it and it was perfect so we took that time to do all the renovations ourselves and we we're going to go from two rooms to four rooms and we were we took that time to bring on nurse practitioners to hire new staff and i plan to take that you know two month wait and be able to reschedule it to other people and then continue to grow right and honestly this journey has been so wild now there is 15 of us wow In total, we have Four nurses, we have two RMTs. We're the only ones in Canada trained to do this specific massage, which is like another crazy thing. When we put, we announce that massage, um, the month schedule, we announce it three months in advance. So basically, December 1st at exactly noon, March will open. I'll put it up online. The entire month will go in less than one minute. It's like Beyonce tickets. It's crazy. Wow. But this, wow. Like, this whole journey, I'm telling you, like, I know this sounds cheesy, but you know, if I went from working at a small Italian restaurant making $5.90 an hour when I was 18 years old to, you know, being 39 years old and having something beautiful and successful that I built with my own two hands. But if you literally believe in what you're doing and you're consistent with it every day and you're not afraid of hard work, there's absolutely nothing that you cannot do. That goes for every single human out there. You just have to want it put the time in and like, it's yours, the world's your oyster.
0: No. And I, I don't think it's cheesy. I don't think it's cheesy. And I think I've had, you know, up nearly 50 of these conversations now for this podcast. And that's been a consistent theme that the overlap of, of passion and deep care about what it is that you're doing in one fashion or the other, right? Like, you know, if I'm a consultant, I work in the digital strategy world and you know, it's, It's about finding a passion that overlaps with something in that space, right? So for me, it's about making an impact on organizations that's lasting and accelerative, not necessarily the exact mechanical work that I'm doing, but that that's not the point. I found a passion in something that I'm, that I'm doing that impacts a lot of what I touch in my job, which makes it very easy to work hard. And in this case, right? You experienced something that worked that you then believed in had an impact on you that you thought you, that you wanted to have other people feel the impact of and found a passion in that and i think that of course that's going to enable you to work that much harder than the other person it's going to increase your acceptance of risk because you're going to believe in the fact that you're going to make it work right and so now you have this cocktail of of factors that come together to, to allow for you to have pretty enormous success and, and, and at scale and obviously taking advantage of timing, right. And, and preparing yourself to be able to do that, right. I think is important because it's one thing it, it you, you know, you can chalk up fortune for an opportunity, uh, falling in front of you, but it's a preparation and hard work in terms of being able to seize the opportunity. And you've been able to do that over and over again. I think that's a demonstration of that. And so, I mean, no, it's not cheesy. It's, it's, I think it's a fact and it, it's demonstrated here because you had a very strong belief in this product and in the impact it had on people and the way that you could position it. And that clearly enabled what has come since.
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been incredible. And I, I am very lucky as well to have, I think one thing that does make it easier is having a partner that can help you. And what, like for me, I'm very lucky because it is my, my life partner. Um, there's no one that you can trust more to help you with your business. This is like another thing that I think most successful individuals will tell you is that if you try to do it all yourself, you'll lose your mind. And like back in the day when I first opened, I was doing you know seven, eight, nine, ten treatments a day, which is very physically taxing, and then the social media, and then you know client relations, and all of this, and trying to like build that. So I was working literally twenty hours a day, but my husband from the back end was doing you know the website, he was doing all the payables, everything that operationally that I didn't have time to do that he's incredibly good at doing. Right. If I had to do all of that, everything would have taken so much longer to grow because my time would have been inundated on that. So I think it's really important to be able to have whether it's, you know, whoever it is, you have to have people doing what they're good at to make sure that you can do what you're good at.
0: Interesting. So in terms of like in your experience and how you structure, I mean, initially your business partner, but then, I mean, since then a team of 15 plus people,
1: yeah.
0: is that the mindset that you look at growth of your team through at all times, finding complementary skill sets where to your point, everyone can focus on doing what they're best at. And that kind of enables that, that kind of growth.
1: Exactly. Even with, Um, our employees, like we didn't, we were always very careful with how we spent our money because we're always trying to, you know, plan for things and be able to grow. And we didn't have a receptionist for the longest time, even in the new location. And it became a challenge because on a lot of days we have 30 or 40 people, sometimes 60 people, depending on the nurses in, coming in through those doors every single day. And I stopped doing treatments about a year and a half ago because there's just no time. Um, the machine does the work. I I learned and I took so many courses. I studied with a plastic surgeon. I I I, was, I I fully believe that I was the best at what I did. But I've taught my team how to be incredible. And now they get to do that and I get to do what I'm good at. Um, also, my husband and I, like we were trying to save money on having a receptionist for the longest time. And we were trying to facilitate everything. But it was just like a whirlwind. You couldn't focus on anything. And so now we have two patient coordinators. Who are there every day, plus I'm there, plus my husband is there, and it's still a lot to juggle. Right. But you like having people showing them what they need to do and making sure that they're incredible at what they do, and then helping them grow can only help your business grow. You know, again, you cannot do it all yourself, and you can't try to to cut corners or to make anything, you know, you really have to develop the individuals who work for you. And they they have to be like you when you're not there, you know, we're all a face of the company.
0: Right. No, I think, I think what's really important about what you're describing here, um, is the fact that it's transferable to any work environment. I mean, I'm sure you experienced the same thing in your own, in your corporate career. This, when you were scaling from one store to 11, you can't do the same activities you did when you were managing one store in 11 places. You have to elevate yourself, enable the people uh, next to you and under you um, to be able to do that work. So that way you can focus on the new strategic, big picture thinking things that are required of you. And in this case, you've done the exact same thing. And, you know, I've experienced that in my careers. I've grown and I've watched other people experience it in, in corporate or consulting careers. And I think that this is an incredibly transferable um tidbit for anyone listening to to take away is that you know as you are trying to progress in your career there's a scaling and an elevation of your skill set and and your role that you have to do and when you start recognizing that like you putting your hands on everything is the limiting factor of whatever it is you're working on's growth and potential yes. that's when you have to enable somebody else and then pull yourself out of it right yes. yeah i think it's an incredibly important thing and it's i love the fact that you see it, the proof of its importance in a context like yours, in a business like yours, but also I can immediately see it happening in a 20,000 person, multi-billion dollar corporation. And I'm sure you, like, as I said, you saw it in your co-work career in a totally different industry, right? Uh, I think it's really important. Um, and, and the fact that you recognize probably has unlocked a lot of the business growth that you guys have experienced.
1: Yes, no for sure.
0: So what's what's next? I mean, what what's the future hold? Because I I feel like you're definitely having these thoughts. You certainly have a vision for it. Um, you know, what's the next step? What does ten years from now look like for Tight Clinic, the brand, and everything else?
1: Well, it's it's uh that's one thing that I'm learning is that it's always evolving and it's always growing. And I think that's part of who I who I am as a human, who my husband is as a human. I think there's people who do get to a certain point are like, ah this is great money. I'm satisfied. I'm comfortable. It's never so much about money for me or, you know, getting comfortable. Maybe I just don't like being comfortable, but like, I always feel like if you're comfortable, you're not growing. So next steps we're opening a second location, um, in the next year. Um, we bought a building, which is very exciting. You know, we went from working from my condo to you know, renting out a dream space to being able to purchase a piece of real estate that is going to be the next step in wow. our journey. Um, that's very exciting. So we're going to be developing that uh, throughout the next mm. calendar year. And then after that, there's a bit like, I want to be in New York. I want to be in LA. But we looked at uh, doing a location in Turks and Caicos at some point in time. Um, It's all about, you know, being able to duplicate and replicate what we have and bring it to places that need it. Uh, And that's ultimately what I plan to do. Uh, We've had some interesting conversations with some external companies. Um, I remember being very inspired early on in my journey. And I listened to a podcast about the woman who owns Bliss Spas and she started off with one small spa. And or like doing facials for people after helping them work out. And then now she is in every W hotel in the world and she was acquired by LVMH for like $300 million, like in in 2008, I think. So actually a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation with another company who wanted to discuss acquiring our company and that's not anywhere where i want to go now there's still so much more to do and there's so yeah. much more that's coming but it's it was really kind of cool and validating just to have that conversation to be like okay i'm not ready for that yet but maybe one day 10 years down the road when i'm ready to you call it a day there is an exit strategy and we're yeah. so young in our journey the mm-hmm. fact that somebody else is that interested already i was like huh that's just that. That felt really amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, that is just total validation of the value of what you've created and its potential. You know, I mean, the podcast is called "Owning Your Potential." I have no doubt you're going to own yours. Just this, in the vision that you described, you're you're out here to build an empire, which I admire hugely. And um, I, w- I, this has been a spectacular conversation. I, I think there's so much in here for people to pull out and apply to their own careers. I want to thank you for your time, uh, your willingness to do the conversation, and then, you know, I I, de- I demand a follow up conversation a year or two from now when when you're I'm sure, you know, 3x the size in some new cities, and I want to hear about all the challenges about scaling on on that level. So uh, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, this was amazing. Thank you so much.